This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast is brought to you by Fry the Coop, Triple Threat Sports, Dr. Squatch, and by the Sins in Law Group. Here are your hosts, NBC Chicago's James Naveau and 670 The Scores Hockey Guy, Jay Zawoski. Let's drop the puck. Welcome into the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. This is Jay Zawoski. With you here solo tonight, Blackhawks beat the Nashville Predators 5-4 to in overtime. Brandon Hagel, with his seventh goal of the season, three minutes into the extra period, wins it. And the Hawks, down 4-1 early in the third, come back and pull off the comeback win. So a lot to get to. Yeah, it's good news. No doubt that the Blackhawks were able to come back in this game and get the win, but there is a lot of bad to get to. And I know that James and I typically like to focus on the positive. Today there is some, but boy, there are some ugly things we have to get to in this one as well. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. I greatly appreciate it. I'm uh, going to go through the propers here to start, and it was something I want to let everybody know about before we get uh, started. First and foremost, all the social media stuff Twitter at Madhouse Pod. Instagram, Madhouse underscore pod. Look us up on Facebook, Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast, because the person who owns Madhouse Pod on Facebook won't give it to me. Uh, MadhousePod.com is our website. Everything's there, including a link to our merchandise shop, MadhousePodMerch.com, powered by our friends at Triple Threat Sports. And this Saturday, if you are one of the people kind enough to buy a copy of my book or you're still looking to buy a copy of my book, The Big 50, The Men and Moments That Made the Chicago Blackhawks, I will be at the Bookies in Homewood, my hometown, from 1 p.m. to 2 p.m. on Saturday signing copies of my book. So come on out and buy one if you haven't. If you have one, feel free to bring it along and get it signed. Uh, the people at Bookies are kind enough to say, yeah, just tell your people, you know, coming out, get their book signed. But if you do that, and this is for me, not from bookies, please support bookies, buy a book, buy a candle, buy something. They've got so much great stuff at bookies. It is independent bookstore day. And I'm very proud and honored to be asked by my friends at bookies to come out. That's a 2015 Ridge road in Homewood, Illinois. If you want more information, it is on my pinned tweet on my Twitter page at Jay Zawoski 670. Also in the second segment of the show, we're going to have an update on Jonathan Taves' health, you're not going to want to miss that. All right, so let's get the ugly stuff out of the way. And up until uh, up until the comeback began, there was a moment. For the second game in a row, Connor Murphy loses his helmet and the Nashville Predators score. But this time, we can laugh at it now. We can laugh at that moment now uh, because it was very funny. It was very comical. There's absolutely no doubt about it. Connor Murphy's helmet comes off. He struggles to get it back on. He gets it back on to the point where the chin strap is over his eyes to the point where he's blindfolded. 
And lo and behold, Luke Coonan scores and gives Nashville the four to one lead. And at that moment, <laughs> I just felt the collective pain of every Hawks fan. Cause not only are you down four to one, not only is all hell breaking loose. Cause you gave up a goal with two seconds left in the second period to make it three, one, then you give up a goal a minute into the third to make it four, one in this must win game that they have to have and blah, 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 blah. And you've got the highlight that could live in infamy of blindfolded Connor Murphy as Luke Coonan scores and Nashville goes up big. And from that point on, it felt really, really hopeless. But then at 10 04, Wyatt Kellnick scores on a great pass from Patrick Kane. Vinny Henestroza, a minute and nine seconds later, scores on a sweet assist from Kirby Doc, his fifth of the season. That's Henestroza's first goal on the year. 12.55 gone in the third. Kubalik from Suter. Kubalik's 15th of the year. Then, immediately after that, not immediately, shortly after that, the Hawks draw a four-minute penalty. Alex Dabrinka gets high-sticked. Blood is drawn. And the Hawks have a four-minute power play. And it resulted in zero shots on goal for the Blackhawks. Nashville had two, but the Hawks had zero and all the faith all the goodwill that had been built up to that point was suddenly squashed after that brutal power play just brutal game gets to overtime as overtimes tend to be in the NHL these days three on three a little bit hectic a little bit chaotic but Brandon Hagel with a sweet roof shot his seventh goal of the season all of a sudden dude's starting to learn how to score Seven goals, 12 assists for Brandon Hagel. This dude is a player, and you're seeing him get those opportunities. Three points in this game for Brandon Hagel. That, to me, is the absolute star of the game. Uh, every game that goes by, he impresses me more and more and more. And if we look at, and we're going to have plenty of time, trust me, to analyze what the season meant and what the season was. But I've got to say, Hagel, Debrinkit, those two guys, their growth as players has been awesome. You're seeing Alex Debrinkit on a penalty kill. He's got, what, 23 goals this year? Just having a great season offensively. He's become an, uh, a player in all three zones, reliable at every strength. And Brandon Hagel coming from what we all thought, and James and I joked was, oh, another guy from the fourth line farm. <laughs> nope, Brandon Hagel is a player and it's been awesome to watch him find success and finally 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 start denting the twine because he's been awesome there's been a lot of positives this year that's for sure but I think to me those two guys have been the most impressive in their play and in their development it's been awesome uh, a couple other things Malcolm Subban gives up four goals I didn't really have a problem with any of them there was one sequence I think it was the second goal I'm starting to lose track of all the goals now but Nashville had a super, yeah, it was the, it was a second Nashville goal, like two minutes in the Hawk zone of just dominant puck possession on that possession alone. Subban made probably two or three a plus saves. Ultimately all the Hawks are out of gas and they can't stop Nashville and they score. But I, I think Subban overall was really solid in this game. And I, I really like now that we've got, I don't want to call it a goalie controversy, 
But I still think Lankinen's the guy. But I don't, when Malcolm Subban gets a start, I don't feel itchy about it anymore. I don't feel like, oh, it's a backup night. We're going to have to, you know, batten down the hatches and just hope they can outscore the opponent. Yeah, four goals against isn't good. But when you look at it in the context of the game, 40 shots on goal. I think he played pretty damn well and made some huge, huge saves to have the Hawks in the position to come back in this game at all. So enjoyed the game uh, at the end. I would say the, the for the large majority of that game, it was painful. A good start, a really good start. I, I tweeted it out. You can see the strategy the Hawks are implementing here. Lots of shots on goal, shooting high on Soros, and they had early success. Then for whatever reason, the game gets tied and the Hawks start to get out of that pattern a little bit. They start to get passy. They start to get passive as well. And they're not forcing the offensive play like they were before Pia Suter scored that goal in the first period. As soon as Nashville tied it 14 minutes into the first period or so, the Hawks kind of stopped. I want to say foot off the gas, but like we've seen from them a lot lately, trying to pass someone tweeted this at me and it was a great description trying to pass the puck into the net. That's not going to happen. It's just not, you're not going to be able to pass the puck into the net at this level. There's too many good players and Nashville's defense has been stifling for the Hawks all season. The Hawks before this game where they scored five goals had scored eight in the prior six games this season against Nashville. How about that? <laughs> they almost doubled their goal total for the year against Nashville in one game. So look, the win is good. There's no doubt about it. Um, after the timeout, we're going to have a little bit of an update on Jonathan Taves from TSN's Darren Dreger. You're not going to want to miss that. So make sure you stick around for the second segment of the show. This is going to be a short post game, 15 minutes, 20 minutes tops. So stick around, make sure you hear that second segment. Cause you're going to want to hear that audio. If you missed it during the game, uh, Jeremy Cowden. Starting to see the deer in headlights thing a little bit from him on the bench when things were falling apart. And I guess you have to credit him for the team not quitting. Um, you know, you got to credit the players for not quitting as well. But there have been a few moments where I've looked at Jeremy Cowan and said, this guy doesn't really have any more ideas, does he? I like the way the power play looked early on. There was a play designed where Kubelik would sort of sneak out into the slot and wait for that pass. He whiffed on one chance and then tried it again. I like that setup. And I have to mention how much better does the Hawks power play look when Adam Boquist is on it, his vision, his passing, and he had a tough game. Third period was flat out bad for Adam Boquist, several turnovers, a couple bad off the mark passes, but overall his impact on the power play has been really, really solid. And you notice without him the last two games and with him tonight, the power play looked a lot better. By the way, Adam Boquist on tonight, 1740 of ice time plus two for Boquist. So uh, no shots on goal, no shot attempts was credited with a block shot. So a uh, tough third period for him, but I just think overall the power play specifically looks so much better with him on it. Here's the other thing. Jeremy Collin went with the old uh, seven defenseman thing tonight. Keith Murphy, Zadorov, Boquist, Dehan Kelnick, Stillman. There's your seven. Dylan Strom was a healthy scratch. And for longtime listeners of this podcast, 
you know I've been, I don't want to say a Dylan Strom fanboy, but I've been one of his bigger supporters. I didn't really notice he was scratched until I was like, wait, there's seven defensemen in there. Who's not playing? When your three million, what, three and a half million dollar player is out and you don't notice it, that's a problem. That's problematic for me. And Strom is for sure a streaky player. We know that. We've seen that. He can get hot. He can get cold. Um, But now that he's into the second contract and now that he's making money and now that he's got all these NHL games under his belt, the built-in excuse of, well, he's young, well, he's developing, and they're still true, you're getting paid to be a consistent player, right? In 34 games this season, he has 13 points. He's a minus 10, plus minus is an overblown stat. I get that. But you paid him with the assumption that there would be some improvement. And he signs late in camp, comes out for the season, starts with his hair on fire, looked awesome to start the season, then everything sort of dips down. I don't know what the deal is with Dylan Strom. I don't know what it's going to take to unlock him. And if you listen to our last podcast, we were sort of talking about Jeremy Cowlton's development of players and how he does at that. And there have been some guys who have gotten significantly better under Jeremy Cowlton, but someone like Dylan Strom, who you're paying a ton of money to, not a ton, but you're paying good money to, who you thought could take that next step in his career. He's making $3 million, by the way. I wanted to correct that. He's got uh, this year and next at two mil- at $3 million, then he's a restricted free agent with arbit- an arbitration eligible. You start- should get to the point with him where the production needs to become more consistent. I like the fact that Jeremy Cowton scratched him. Not so much that he went with seven defensemen, but I like that he scratched Dylan Strom because, look, he doesn't deserve to play if he's going to play as poorly as he's played and be so minimally impactful. Now, the seven defensemen thing. When does Nikita Zadorov or Calvin DeHaan or even lately Connor Murphy get held to the same standard as Dylan Strom? Zadorov's making 3.2, Murphy's making 3.85, DeHaan's making four and a half. Maybe it's time for one of these veteran defensemen to sit. And when you did it for Nikita Zadorov, he played better. And I don't think he was awful in this game by any means. I'm just saying, like, there needs to be some sort of equity with the punishment. Um, you know, I I, I don't know. I, I I'm glad the young guys are playing, but at this point, wouldn't you rather see Bodan and Mitchell than Dahan and Zadorov? And I guess and I, I think Lazarus or Powers wrote about this the other day. Like Zadorov is their biggest off, one of their biggest offseason decisions. They need to make a call on him. Are you going to pay this guy more money to play another year for you or not? And I don't know. I think the fact that you traded for Riley Stillman and he's been better than Zadorov for his short time here, I've seen more from Stillman in his short time here than I've seen from. Zadorov all year and the promise of, oh, Zadorov's going to bring this physical play. Hmm. Now and again, he'll lay a huge hit. There's no doubt about it, but he's not consistently aggressive. And maybe it's a system thing. The Hawks have this, you know, this man to man defense. A big lumbering defenseman is not going to succeed in that. And that was sort of my issue with the seven defensemen tonight is. 
you're going to play Dahan and Murphy and Zadorov against Nashville, who's one of the faster teams in hockey. That doesn't make a ton of sense to me either. So I don't know. I, I'm at the point where, yes, they're still in a playoff race. And yes, you've got veterans who are really working hard and have committed themselves to this rebuild and you owe it to them to try for a playoff spot. But aren't you sort of like kidding yourself at this point? I think the playoffs are still very unlikely. You still gave Nashville a point in this game. And to me, get some kids in there. Let Bodan play. Let Mitchell play. This is the time. Because next year, the story changes a little bit. Expectations change a little bit. I think next season, the hot seat starts to form for Jeremy Cowden. If there's not market improvement next season, then there's going to have to be some consequences. So we'll see. We'll see what the rest of the season brings. I think tonight's win probably delays any sort of commitment to playing young players. But there's not a ton of games left anyway. So I don't know. I understand the coach has to keep his veteran players engaged. And you don't want to just throw in a towel on a season where you've got the chance to make the playoffs. I get it. I get it. Uh, I'm not the coach. I'm the guy who is more interested in seeing young guys play than seeing... And as much as I'd love to see extra hockey, you know, as much as I'd love to watch a playoff series, I, I, I'm ready to see the kids. And I, and honestly, I don't think playing Mitchell and Bodan is going to be that huge of a drop-off in terms of performance compared to Zadorov and Dahan at this point. Is that if, like is that like a is that a stretch? Do you guys think I'm sort of like out of line for saying that? Because I don't think so. Would I mean, sure, there'd be a bit of a drop-off. The veteran presence of Dahan and the physicality of Zadorov would, would probably be missed a little bit, but you've got the natural talent of those other two. I, I don't know. Give it a shot. What do you have to lose? Play Keith and Murphy and a bunch of kids. Let's see what happens. Let's see what happens, because what's been happening lately has not been great. Despite the outcome of this game, the Hawks winning 5-4 five, five, in overtime, I'm ready to give it a look, but I, I get why Jeremy Cowton might be hesitant to do it. I, I totally understand it, but me personally, and I think a lot of people listening to this podcast are ready to see an all kids defensive unit. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back into the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. As we always do on these post-game podcasts, we commit to one of our sponsors. Today, it's our friends at Fry the Coop and FryTheCoop.com. You've heard James and I talking about the Nashville hot chicken. Go celebrate this Blackhawks overtime win against Nashville with some of the best Nashville hot chicken you will ever taste. Go to FryTheCoop.com. Check out their menu items. They've got the chicken tenders. They've got the donut chicken sandwich. 
chicken and waffles. If it's Nashville hot chicken and it goes in your mouth, they've got it at Fry the Coop and frythecoop.com. You've got locations in Elmhurst, Westtown, Prospect Heights, Tinley Park. There is a Fry the Coop near you, so check them out. You can order on frythecoop.com. Go pick it up, and it's ready to go, hot and fresh, and it will last for your ride home. I know, you know, I live probably 15 minutes now. The Tinley location is the closest one. Before Tinley opened, I had to go from Homewood to Oak Lawn. That's a ride. That's 95th and Cicero to like 187th and Dixie. That's a that's a ride. I would bring home that Fry the Coop. It was still crispy. It was still hot. It was like I was eating it at the restaurant. Fry the Coop is the greatest. Go to frythecoop.com. Come get your happiness at Fry the Coop. All right. James and I will spend more time on this next full podcast for sure. But to me, it's very newsworthy and I want to get to it. During the first intermission, NBC Sportsnet's Liam McHugh was talking to TSN insider Darren Dreger. And the topic of Jonathan Taves came up. And this is the first Jonathan Taves update we've had in a while. I know Stan Bowman talked to the guys at The Athletic a while back and had some vaguely like, oh, you know, we hope he comes back, those sort of things. Uh, I want you to listen closely to what Darren Dreger says, and I'll give it a reaction on the other side. This is courtesy of NBC Sports Network. Well, look, uh, it's an assumption that Jonathan Taves is done for this regular season with the Chicago Blackhawks. Nobody close to Jonathan Taves is saying that definitively other than say he's very likely done for this season. But with fewer than 10 games remaining in the Hawks regular season, it seems very likely. The good news, of course, nobody is being specific to what's gone on with Jonathan Taves. The good news is that his health is getting better. He's seen improvement over the months. Uh, and the expectation is that as long as he stays headed in the right direction, the direction that he's on right now, that he should be healthy and ready to return to the Chicago Blackhawks next season. Now, it has been a very challenging year for the captain of the Chicago Blackhawks, and by extension with his absence, it's been equally challenging for the Hawks in general. All right, so Darren Dreger's correct. Nine games left for the Blackhawks. I think bringing Jonathan Taves back now makes zero sense, right? Like, why rush him back? I I wanted to say this flat out. I'm not speculating on anything with Jonathan Taves because I don't know. And the people that I talk to that know stuff don't know. And typically when those people know something they can't tell me, not usually, always, when those people know something they can't tell me, they'll say so. Hey, look, I want to tell you, I just can't. It's my ass on the line. If this gets out, I can't let this story be told. I'm sorry, but I just got to keep this one, right? Cool. I get it. That's how sources work. Every source I've spoken to about Jonathan Taves, and I'm not pushing too hard either because I want to respect his privacy. It's palms up. We don't know. Some of these are with the team. Some of them are not. I Organization not team. Some are with the organization. Some are not, but to a man, to a person, it is a, I don't know. I wish I knew that sort of a response. What I'm hearing from Darren Dreger is a little more depth of insight saying this has been very hard for him. He's been through a lot. Those sort of things. I don't know. They make your mind go a certain way. I'm just going to say that. And from the moment 
Jonathan Taves announced he wasn't playing this year or wasn't was going to sit out for this indefinite amount of time. There's been reckless speculation about what's wrong with him. Specifically listing diseases and and whatever you want to call it. I'll tell you, and I just did, but I want to reiterate, no one that I trust has given me anything close to that. So when you hit me up on Twitter and say, is it this? First of all, I'm not even going to acknowledge it because I don't want to incriminate myself. I don't want to get myself in a bad spot. And I don't want to say anything that might make it seem like I know because I don't know. If I had a dollar for every text I got saying what's wrong with Taves, I could probably take a month off of work. I don't know. And the people that usually know don't know. It sounds to me like Darren Dreger knows or at least knows something. So when we find out what was happening with Jonathan Taves is anyone's guess. But as these reports become a little more vaguely specific, which is kind of a weird thing to say, but that's kind of how I would define what Dreger said, vaguely specific. It puts a little pressure on the Hawks to acknowledge what's going on or say what's going on. I just, I know that for me, it's my concern for Jonathan Taves and my curiosity as a fan that wants them, that makes me want them to say something. I don't know if that's the right place to be. I don't know if it's the right attitude to have, but I want to know for my own peace of mind. I'm sure you listening feel the same way, but try to be patient, <laughs> try to respect Jonathan Taves. And look, the news that we heard from Darren Dreger was overall good. If things continue the way they are, he's going to play next season. That's great news. Because if you add Jonathan Taves to this team, and maybe you make a trade or two in the offseason, or you make a free agent signing, all of a sudden you're talking a little bit, right? So what I take away from that is whatever's wrong with Jonathan Taves, it's improving, and the plan is for him to play hockey next year, and that should be nothing but welcome and celebrated news for Hawks fans all over the world. All right. Thanks everybody for tuning in to this post game edition of the Madhouse Chicago hockey podcast. I always appreciate it. James always appreciates it up next for the Hawks Nashville on Friday at seven. Then they don't play until Tuesday against Tampa. So that's, you know, it's not getting easier for the Hawks here. It's Tampa. Then it's Florida. Look for a full length podcast from James and I maybe Monday or potentially Tuesday after the game. Uh, I might do a post game after the game on Friday. Uh, if James can join me or not, not sure yet. It's always up to his work schedule, but uh, we're not going anywhere. The season's winding down. Every game from here on out is the biggest game of the season. So schedule allowing, we will be here on the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. We know you will be too. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you rate, subscribe, review, tell a friend. Those are very important things and they help us out a lot. Until next time, this has been the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast was brought to you by Fry the Coop, Triple Threat Sports, Dr. Squatch, and by the Sits In Law Group. I'm Amira Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. 
And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.